Hello and welcome to Adam and Eve on CJSR 88.5 FM in Edmonton and around the world on CJSR.com. My name is Rose Eva Forks Jenkins and I'll be your host for today's episode of Adam and Eve. Thanks for tuning in. Adam and Eve is Edmonton's only feminist news radio show. We are adamant on highlighting, discussing, and engaging with issues that affect women across Edmonton and around the world. We are very excited and honored to have two guests join us this week to discuss the global issues of menstruation inequity shown in the documentary entitled Pandora's Box, Lifting the Lid on Menstruation. Pandora's Box was screened at the Northwest Fest in Edmonton on November 7th. This film tackles taboos around menstruation by looking at menstrual inequity in the global North and South and engaging in the political, social, cultural, and economic impacts of menstruation. We will be hearing an interview that Adam and Eve hosts Michelle Dang and Wen Chan had with the director of the film, Rebecca Snow, as well as the executive producer of Pandora's Box and the CEO of Diva International, Corrine Chambers-Saney. Let's take a listen to that conversation. everyone welcome back to adam and eve my name is michelle dang i use she her pronouns um and i've been a producer here with adam and eve for a little over a year now hi my name is wen chan i use they them or she her pronouns um and yeah i've been on adam and eve for about a year as well so today we're joined virtually by two very special guests to discuss menstrual inequity in the film Pandora's Box, Lifting the Lid on Menstruation. Thank you for having us. My name is Rebecca Snow and I'm the director of the documentary. I'm a, I'm a filmmaker. I came to this film because the producers approached me with the subject matter and I thought it was absolutely fascinating. I'm sort of quite ashamed to say I, I didn't really um, know a ton about period poverty and menstrual inequity. I definitely didn't know um, that it was such a sort of prevalent issue in the world. And it was incredibly shocking to me. And I got very involved in, uh, in a lot of the research and, and, and that sort of thing. My name is Karen Chambersaney. I'm uh, the executive producer of Pandora's Box and CEO and co-founder of Diva International, makers of the Diva Cup. Our company has been really involved in this field, in advocacy work around menstrual equity and um, period poverty. Our interest and passion really lies in education and, and creating awareness around these issues. And we realized that there really wasn't anything that explored the, the global movement and kind of wrapped a lot of these issues into into one place and we felt that that really needed to be done that that information needed to be out there to create that awareness so i guess you kind of already talked about this but tell us about the film when and how was the idea for the documentary kind of conceived the idea for the film really started in uh, 2017 
we were about to go to a period conference and I was a keynote speaker and we just were like, we need to, we need to document this. This is, this is important. There's never been any conferences where, where people were getting together to talk about these issues and, and really making this important and bringing this to the forefront. There's been a movement building, but there wasn't really a group behind it and people coming together to talk about it. So that was kind of the start. We didn't know what we were going to do with it quite yet. We had the idea for the film, but actually filming and the interviews, we realized like there's so much more to this that we really need to document and the film actually grew it was almost like an accidental documentary because it was intended to be kind of a smaller project and it just kept getting bigger and bigger and we we're so proud of the outcome of the film because anything else wouldn't have done it justice it was amazing because, you know, Corinne says it, it wasn't originally meant to be a documentary. And as a documentary filmmaker, I was brought on after they'd, they'd actually filmed quite a few interviews and, and um, they'd even done a trip to uh, Mumbai. And then they realized, my gosh, we're actually digging into something huge here. And this needs this really needs to be a feature length documentary. And that's when they brought me on board. And it was an amazing thing because it was the idea that you know this company and and organization wanted to get behind this this endeavor you know i'm used to working with broadcasters and and the uh conventional film funding routes and it was amazing to me because i had this incredible team behind me who who wanted to make this film but also really very generously open as to what it might end up being which in one sense is a complete blessing as, as a creative to have that creative freedom but it's also a curse because this is such a huge topic and it was incredibly daunting you know we filmed in Mumbai and we filmed in Kenya and Uganda and we filmed in London UK we filmed in New York we filmed in Canada and it was a huge uh, a huge endeavor and big challenge in the edit because it's such a, a vast topic I mean once you start digging into what um, the issues around menstruation are and the reasons for menstrual inequity and why it exists in the world, um, you can go down all sorts of routes. So it was, it was quite the thing to work on for a couple of years. And I understand that you had an all-female crew while filming. So what was the importance of having an all-female crew? Yeah, I'm really proud of that. It's, um, you know, we were generally hiring local crew with the exception of a couple of Canadian directors of photography that we took over to Uganda and Kenya and to Mumbai. I'm used to working with, you know, I'm almost always the only woman on set. Um, you know, we made a real effort the, with the producers to really try and hire women on this. Generally, we, we were interviewing a lot of women and, and um, girls and people who menstruate. And they, you know, it, it was nice to have the idea that there was this kind of security around who they're talking to. Because a lot of girls, I think especially in Mumbai and, uh, and Kenya and Uganda where we were, you know, it was, it was, there's a lot of taboos around it, there's a lot of stigma and it's not something they're very used to talking about and they were very brave to talk about it with us. And so I think having a female team around was, was helpful in that regard. It's also just something generally try and strive for in, as a female filmmaker, I think. The score for the film is all original, composed also by a female composer. I think our team really did a great job of, especially mainly Rebecca brought all these, all these amazing people too together to show the talents and, and give opportunities for our women. 
Yeah, that's all so important. Just moving on to our next question. The film not only looks at the impact of menstrual inequity in developed nations, in quote unquote, but third world nations. So personally, what stood out to me was non-white savior lens the film took. It showed voices of menstrual activists, educators, and advocates on the ground, their own lived realities of how it's like to have menstrual cycles in the third world. Can you talk a bit about how you navigated the power dynamics as filmmakers yourselves, but also as women from a perceived country of wealth when exploring what menstrual inequity looks like in other countries? I think I think one of the things that was really important there is that we we had um, really great organizations working with us on the ground. Um, that's how we moved around these countries was with, you know, long standing activist groups there who have been working on these issues for a very long time. So that made it um, first of all, easier to access these, you know, the people who are most affected by some of these issues and gain their trust and be able to sort of actually just move around in the country safely. So that was important. I'm very proud that, you know, we were able to, to feature a lot of the people who are on the ground, you know, making a huge difference. And a lot of them, as you say, have the lived experience. I mean, one of the big sort of heroes in the film is Christine in, uh, in Kenya, who is an ambassador for Days for Girls, which this incredible organization that empowers women and helps them set up these sort of uh, women-run enterprises where they are making reusable pads and getting them out to, to school girls so they can actually continue going to school, which um, is a huge issue in a lot of places in sub-Saharan Africa is girls dropping out of school because they simply don't have any ways to, you know, uh, to deal with their menstrual cycle. So they skip school for that week of their, of their menstruation and they get behind in school and they end up dropping out, which is um, something that Days for Girls are really helping fight. And of course, Christine had her own incredible story, personal story, which is the reason that she's doing what she's doing now. So yes, that's a really important sort of factor in the film. So the film is really hinged on just showing how menstrual equity kind of intersects with so many other injustices, um, particularly with youth, houseless people, women who are incarcerated, um, class and access also has a very big impact on menstrual inequity. So what does menstrual equity mean to you both? So really like menstrual equity and period poverty are, are still pretty new terms. Um, the actual term menstrual equity was coined in 2015 by an advocate who's also one of kind of the heroes of the film, Jennifer Wise Wolf, who's a lawyer and activist in the U.S. and really encompasses all the issues surrounding menstruation, whether that be period poverty, whether that be legislation, the taboos, the discrimination and abuse, and Obviously, uh, it's gender equality issues as well. I think the term now, there's, there's a, lot, a lot of education to do to actually help people understand the importance of it and why someone who can't bleed with dignity because they don't have access to products, why that is creating such a barrier for them. Even in Canada, 70% of menstruators have missed work school um, because of their period and 
the fact that, you know, one third of all Canadian women under the age of 25 have experienced period poverty and can't even access the, the products that they need. And then we look at in the film, the issues within the prison system where um, the, the lack of accessibility is actually used as a form of control and abuse. It's, it's all encompassing. There's many, many issues. And I think that's kind of where the name Pandora's box came from. It was like, once you opened the box and everything started unveiling a whole gamut of, of issues. You know, menstrual equity is the idea that, you know, periods shouldn't hold anyone back. And yet they do. You're thinking about, you know, gender equality around the world. There's so many people who are held back just because they menstruate. This was kind of in the film already, but how is the menstrual equity movement related to the Me Too and Time's Up movements? It's the new wave of, of uh, the feminist movement where um, these issues are being talked about, things that were kind of under wraps and, and not discussed are coming to the forefront. And we could have even done a whole film just on that, but you can see the parallels of the two, the menstrual equity, the, the marches, we're seeing everybody rising up to, to really bring these issues to the forefront and that they're no longer something that we should be ashamed of. I think people are really done with that and they wanna, they wanna bring that out. In the film, the environmental impact of menstrual product waste was shown to be a huge problem with a note that people in countries without plumbing and a centralized waste management system can't easily use disposable menstrual products. So how do you or do you both see menstrual equity in the environmental justice movement? Absolutely. I mean, that's where we got into the menstrual equity movement because of our dedication to um, providing a more eco-friendly option for menstruation. Because the reality is that 45 billion tampons and pads in the packaging end up in landfills and waterways globally, and it can't continue. Menstrual equity is paralleling the environmental movement as well. And I remember 20 years ago when we started Diva, we would say this is better for the environment, and no one cared at that time. And now it's like, yeah, that makes sense. And so it's, it's such a great time to be talking about these issues, especially the next generation, like your generation. It's incredible that finally this next generation does care and they don't want to do things just because their, their parents did it a certain way. They're challenging that status quo all the time. And that's what um, is really exciting to see. The, the environmental aspect um, is almost a film unto itself but what we were interested in with this is how some of the solutions for combating menstrual inequity and access to products lies in sort of sustainable solutions. Talking about solutions I think one of the other main kind of idea in mind of this movement is to provide better education about you know, sexual and reproductive health so I guess in an ideal world, what do you think would be necessary to know for people? And 
who would this education be directed at? So yeah, it, it's something that we really look at in the film um, is, is the sort of lack, I mean, it's lacking everywhere because of the stigma and taboos around menstruation that's, that have existed for thousands of years. And well, the place that we really drill down into the sort of lack of education around menstruation is, is, is actually in India, which is quite well known for lack of education for, on reproductive health. Um, and a lot of the women and girls we talked to there were saying that they had no idea what menstruation was before they started bleeding. And of course, that's a really terrifying uh, idea. And a lot of them thought they had cancer. And a lot of their mothers hadn't even spoken to them about it because, you know, it's just not really spoken about. So it's something, again, that could have been a film unto itself. Um, and it's something that uh, we saw some really interesting things happening again in, uh, in Kenya. There's a big sort of drive with Menstrual Hygiene Day that Corinne had mentioned. And there were not just girls uh, celebrating this day, but there were also boys. I think something that's really important across the board is the education, not just of, of girls about menstruation um, and reproductive health, but also of, of boys. They should absolutely be in the room for those discussions. Here in Canada, usually the class is separated when people really need to drill down and talk about menstruation, which is part of the problem. It should be talked about in classrooms uh, with both boys and girls. And I think, you know, educating boys about this is a huge part of it. And I would love, I'd love this film to be shown uh, in schools across Canada and across the world, and especially uh, boys to watch this film and men. Yeah, that was one of the most interesting things when we started screening the film at film festivals, the uh, response from men, they were completely shocked. Like it had never occurred to them. And most of them would share that, you know, growing up, they had their mothers and sisters saying, oh, you don't need to know about this. Oh, don't ask about that. You know, just kind of fueling that kind of shame and lack of understanding. And a lot of taboos and a lot of the discrimination that we're seeing is actually coming from that lack of education and lack of understanding. Like Rebecca said, like most of the people we saw, they didn't even understand menstruation, boys and girls. So absolutely, in order to break down these stigmas to uh, create more equity around menstruation, there needs to be education for everyone. And boys have to be part of that conversation from, from a young age. And we, we really hope that this film at least starts the conversation and helps, um, helps to create a little more empathy and understanding around the issues. And not have people kind of suffer silently because they don't really know what's going on with their bodies. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah, having experienced periods uh, myself, there's like such a shame and lack of understanding and like this culture where we have to hide menstrual products when we are menstruating and we have to do it in, in secret. And often like the narrative of who bleeds is limited to women in mainstream culture, um, cis women. And there's a quote in the film that stood out to me, not all women bleed and not everyone who bleeds are women speaking to non-binary, trans, and intersex people who experience menstrual cycles themselves. Do you want to first speak to that a little bit? Yeah, we interview um, this great guy in London, Kenny Jones, 
who is sort of the first trans man, at least in the UK, to really, really sort of talk openly about, you know, the experience of menstruating while trans. And he's fantastic. And, you know, it's, it's obviously something that was very important to highlight in the film because, you know, we're talking about the inequities and the, and the experience for people who menstruate. Um, and that doesn't mean just that's women and girls. So that was important to get in the film. I think it's, it's definitely a really important issue. And uh, we've certainly really experienced that being in the menstrual product industry and being an inclusive company that's taken us a number of years to, to really update our packaging and our language. And I have consulted with the community to understand how to be more inclusive and really recognizing that it, it is a form of discrimination if we're not being inclusive to the, those communities. Yeah. And like including people is super important um, who experience this in their everyday lives, but also recognizing that that's often not enough um, if it's not also fighting for the liberation of folks in the first place to have to feel like that they're included. And it was interesting to me, like how the lens was dominant for cis women and girls in the global South and the topic of, of inclusion of all people who menstruate wasn't really talked about there. There's probably the impact of culture and context in that dialogue, but in your perspective, how do you see that impact of menstrual inclusion and equity happen like in a global sense? We're hoping with the film that even just bringing up these issues and creating awareness will at least start conversations. But definitely, we're not seeing that really brought up around the world. I think North America, it's, it's much more talked about. The advocacy groups here are much more vocal. Maybe it's just safer for them to be more vocal here. There's just so much work to be done. Hopefully, that will, that will continue to evolve over time. But certainly here, um, I think that there's a big opportunity and there's been a lot of advancement with the advocacy work. Yeah, very good points there. Like with the safety, who can feel able to, to start those conversations in the first place? I think like European colonization has played a huge part in perpetuating this myth that there's a binary of genders and that only certain people experience menstruation. So I think there's a lot of work done as settlers and being anti-colonial in, in how we approach menstruation too. Moving on to the next question, the documentary kind of explores how certain items aren't taxed that are kind of ridiculous like cowboy boots, donuts, fruit roll-ups in certain US states. Do you think the taxation of menstrual products plays into this narrative that menstrual products aren't a common good? Absolutely. You know, that's one of the big uh, things on the agenda of Jennifer Weiss-Wolf, who's one of the main characters in the film, and a lawyer in New York who's trying to push, you know, the menstrual equity agenda is she's starting with these ridiculous tax laws in the states. One thing that just really, I think, illustrates this really, really well is that um, Viagra is tax exempt 
that's the thing that to me it, it gets down to the core of what this is this is a, this is a gender equality issue and you know the idea that menstrual products aren't considered essential is just ridiculous yeah no that's funny because viagra it can be covered under your drug plan too right so you might not even have to pay anything for it and then yeah which, exactly and i mean the whole you know the, the sort of dream the menstrual equity dream is that menstrual products around the world globally are just made free because they just should be so obviously we're living through a pandemic right now and i can only imagine that it has it has exacerbated this issue even more pretty generally what effects have been seen during the pandemic around menstrual equity and are there ways that we can counteract this absolutely i think uh we've certainly seen a huge intake of of requests coming in through diva cares which is our uh, charitable philanthropic division of diva international and it's become exacerbated because people are losing their jobs people weren't at school there's just more hardship now than ever and uh, so we've really upped our donations and partnerships to really help get more product to those communities at risk a lot of the uh, sort of organizations on the ground that are trying to you know facilitate access to help girls manage their periods a lot of it's been disrupted by covid you know it's something that i think about a lot is you know a lot of the organizations that we filmed with a year or two ago for the film you know how on earth they're managing right now with the pandemic is uh, a huge challenge and so in in that sense you know the, the girls who were impacted the girls who weren't going to school once a month because of their periods even you know before the pandemic being able to get that support was challenging and so getting it now is even even less so you know this the pandemic's obviously having a massive impact on girls uh going to school and sort of you know uh the gender equality issues in, in a lot of places and as we kind of tie up here, who do you hope this film will reach and what impact do you hope it'll make? I really hope the film's seen by people all over the world. I hope the film is seen by kids in school start kind of really talking about these issues at a young age and make sure that people are aware of them. What I'm hoping for people who see this film is that they, are, they will be surprised by it. Um, they'll be infuriated by it. Um, and they'll want to do something. And there's lots of ways that they can kind of join the movement and do something about it. And they can go to our website, pandorasboxthefilm.com to find out how they can kind of get involved. The more, the more people that see this, the better. And we're going to continue really promoting it. And if there, you do have an organization that wants to show it, you can reach out to us at Diva Cares you know, the more people that can see this, the, the more chances, the more conversations, the more this will help the intent to break down these stigmas and create education and awareness around menstrual equity and all the issues surrounding that. Yeah, the film really kind of just opened my eyes to some issues that I don't know why I never thought of. So thank you very much, Rebecca and Karine for joining us today. Thank you so much for having us. Yeah, thank you. That brings us to the end of this week's episode of Adam and Eve. Big thank you to our fantastic guests today, Corrine Chambersaney and Rebecca Snow, and to our wonderful hosts, Michelle Dang and Wen Chan for their contributions to this discussion. 
To find out more about the film Pandora's Box, you can visit their website at uh, www.pandorasboxthefilm.com. As we close this episode, we'd like to acknowledge the stolen land that we occupy, known colonially as Edmonton, Alberta. So a quote that I found on Twitter recently is by uh, Johnny J, at J-O-H-N-N-I-E-J-A-E, and they write, Just a reminder, you cannot decolonize that which is inherently rooted in colonization without entirely dismantling and destroying it completely. Decolonization is not making colonization and violent systems of oppression more palatable, acceptable, or marketable. Decolonization is a commitment to radical revolutionary change that prioritizes our responsibility to exist in good relation and kinship with each other, with non-human beings, with the land, and with the water and the universe around us. And so on that note, we'd like to end the show today and let you know that Adamant Eve is a spoken word project of CJSR 88.5 FM, and our journalism is funded by you, the listeners. If you would like to get in touch with our team, you can reach us on our Facebook page under Adam and Eve or email us at aeve.cjsr at gmail.com. If you're looking to get involved with radio in any capacity, we're happy to have more volunteers to help out. Thank you so much for tuning in. I've been your host, Rose Eva Forks Jenkins. Have a great Adamant evening.